0: Let's listen now. We're going to be finishing Joel today, but I'm going to read to you verses throughout Joel 3. We're going to finish Joel today. So listen to the word of God uh, Proclaim this among the nations, consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earthquake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So that you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and the water of the valley of Shittim. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. The former pastor at Christ the King is one of my dear friends, Rick Downs, and uh, it's hard for me to sing and can it be without thinking about, we started the church in North Carolina in the 80s, and this is one of Rick's favorite hymns. I wanted to sing it this Sunday. Um, And so Rick, who's somewhat reserved uh, and more high church than I am, uh, when Rick would sing that last stanza, of that hymn, and this was before a lot of people in the Presbyterian network of God's Frozen Chosen would raise their hands up. Uh, So Rick would, we'd say, no condemnation, now I dread. I can remember looking over at Rick and we were in a sort of a big sort of classroom area starting this new church, and Rick would hold up his fist like this. (laughs) No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine so it's good to be reminded there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so if you come in here this morning uh, feeling under the cloud of your own fears your failures your anxieties welcome Uh, there is one here to make himself real to us and to help us today and as we look at this passage together I'd like for us to pray as we did last week so let's take a moment And be reminded that our Good Shepherd wants to feed us today, so Jesus will help us. So just take a moment and pray for yourself that you can hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. And take a few moments, pray for me that I can hear that voice as well. Father, we pray now that we would hear your voice, that you would invite us to be still and know that you are our God. And it's so counterintuitive and it's hard for us Lord because you know our minds are racing already. The to-do list for today, this week is shouting at us or creating noise in our conscience, in our heart and mind. So may you create a sanctuary in our souls right now where we can hear Jesus, you whisper to us; we can hear echoes of mercies and know blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. So, Lord, help us today. We pray. Amen. A uh, favorite writer of mine is uh, has written a great book on taking the gospel to the nations. But he talks about how you have to pay attention as we try and bring the light and the hope of the good news that Jesus is the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, that it always comes in the midst of a battle that takes place. And he has a line in one chapter about understanding spiritual warfare where he talks about life is war. That's not all it is. It is always that. Now, my, some of my children are very good writers. They love a good sentence or sentences like that. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. You see, my problem is, some of you know the show Everybody Loves Raymond, all right? Uh, or you know of it. It's a 30-minute sitcom. It's funny, a goofy character. Ray Romano plays Raymond. Um, and uh, I want to believe that I can live life with Everybody Loves Me. And it's like a sitcom, we solve all our problems in 30 minutes or less with commercials. I want to have fun. <laughs> I want to enjoy life, I want to be goofy, I want to be silly, I want to do great stuff, I want to travel. There's all these things that I love to do to just to sort of get caught up and swept up in this situation comedy of life, that that's the way it is. But it is not that. Um, it, that's just not the way it is. Um, and so this uh, invitation in the book of Joel is to realize that we are in a war. Now, when I was in high school, I lived right next to a military base, and almost all my friends' uh, parents were, or fathers were, in uh, the Marine Corps. This is Cherry Point Air Base in North Carolina, and many of my friends' fathers would be sent to Vietnam. Some would not survive being sent to Vietnam but there was a clear delineation between civilians and military. If you were a civilian, uh, then in the, in the mind of the military, you weren't involved in their commitment, their, their desire, their dedication to be involved in, in what they were doing. So it wasn't like we were second class, but you really knew that you were different from the military when you were on the base or when I was around my parents' friends who were in the military. And there's a real sense where, again, this prophet Joel is calling us again into the battle so that we're joining God in his fight for justice, his fight for mercy, his fight for his people, his fight for his church. Uh, There's a calling that is taking place for all of us uh, that God wants us to hear today. So... I read to you from verse 10 and and months ago when I was talking to a friend of mine about preaching through Joel, he said Joel 3.10, which I had no idea what Joel 3.10 says. But it says, let the weak say I am a warrior. And here's God's call on our life uh, together is to be warriors for God. And what does that mean? How do we get there? Well, let's just review quickly Joel. Uh, the book, Joel probably is living during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. This is post-exile. So they've been in exile in Babylon. They've come back. They're rebuilding the temple. The prophet Joel, his name means God is Yahweh, or Yahweh is God. Uh, the Joel uh, was very familiar with the prophets and the prophetic literature. If you do a little study more in depth of Joel, he's, he's looking at about nine different uh, Writings plus Exodus, which is in Joel. Uh, But the real mystery of what's going on in Joel is, what is Joel addressing? Now, what is the problem with the people that he's trying to get at? Now, uh, there are two things, there are two days of the Lord in Joel. There's the first day, which is the day of the Lord, which is physical locusts coming to destroy the land. They had already lived through that. There's a coming day of the Lord where locusts are representative, a metaphor for military invasion. So that's coming, but it's also this idea of judgment. There's a lot going on in Joel that stirs you up and makes you have to think. It's not an easy read. You have to think about what is God saying here? What is God doing here? Why is Joel in the Bible? How does it instruct me, teach me? How does it rebuke me? How does it heal me? How does it help me? to be trained to walk in the ways of the Lord so that I'm excited about being a warrior. So brothers and sisters, all of you here and online, God wants you to hear him say to you, you are a warrior. Um, The problem is uh, that what was going on in Joel is that they had other gods before them. Uh, When you read it more carefully, although Joel doesn't say it directly, the first commandment is, I'm the Lord your God and you'll have no other gods before me. That if you think about your story and where you are and living in your story, are there rival things to your relationship with God that are more important to you than God himself? Or to use the words of Jesus, my dad who's now in heaven would always say to me when he found out, Uh, that um, I was going to be a pastor, he remembered from his childhood, and one of the part of our story is after I became a follower of Jesus, my dad would. That's a great part of our story. But the two things he remember hearing preachers talk about was one, um, that you can't serve two masters. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters because if you try to, you'll love one and hate the other. Now, this is going to sting and it's going to sound harsh, but it's true and it'll help you realize, I need to wake up. I'm under the spell of the very thing that I'm to be at war against. It'll help you realize, because if you're serving two masters your education, your career, your marriage, your desire to be married. If something is more important to you than God Himself, Jesus says you'll love one and you'll hate the other. Now I, when people call me out and say, you know, sin means you hate God, I want to say, I don't hate God, I like God. God likes me. We are, you know, we're one happy family here. What are you talking about? But it's not that God doesn't love me and care about me, nor does it not mean that I don't love him, but it means when I live this way, I'm betraying the very thing that God desires for me, which is to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, If you've ever been betrayed, it's one of the worst feelings, experiences you could ever go through. Uh, If someone who has made great promises to you or loved you or has been very loyal to you turns against you, that's the feeling of what's going on in Joel. What's going on in Joel is, is that God has removed, he's bringing judgment. The Valley of Jehoshaphat means judgment. God is the judge. It means that God judges his people by withdrawing his spirit from his people withdrawing His blessing, withdrawing His favor. And much the same way we read in Romans 1, because people will refuse to glorify God and give thanks to them. It says the wrath of God is revealed. Now you think, if again, false narratives about God. God's going to do bad things to me and to us. It's simply that God withdraws His presence. So, if you're missing God as you come here today, if you're knowing there's so much more for me to know, and there's a deep ache, homesickness, loneliness deep within me, is God trying to get your attention through some of the things going on in your life to wake you up to the fact that you're missing His very presence? Now, here in Joel 3, three things are go going on. God says, I'm going to restore my presence to my people. Number two, I am going to do a work that's going to restore the beauty of the land. So for all of us who love ecology and the the beauty of taking care of this earth, as we now know it, God says, I'm going to work to restore the land to become another garden of Eden. Now that's an ultimate new heaven, new earth. But wherever Christians are, they have a tremendous love for the sky, the air, the water, the land, the sea. God says, I'm going to do something that's going to restore the land. And then the last thing, I'm going to protect you from the enemies that are going to come against you, both real and spiritual. God says, I'm going to protect you. So here we are, we come to Joel 3, we're writing the promise that God says he's going to pour out his spirit on his people. Now one of the things we're praying for at Christ the King is we're praying for revival. We're praying for Joel 2 where God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy and old guys like me will dream and young people like you will have vision for what? (laughs) For the battle that we're in where Jesus has won the ultimate battle, but we're to push back against the darkness. We're to go into those places where people are suffering and hurting, where there is evil and injustice and address that by acting justly, to be concerned about justice for the poor, the least, the last, the lost, the lonely. God wants to get us to engage in the battle to show his mercy, his love to our broken, fallen world. So where are you in the fight? Are you in the fight for the goodness and grace and mercy and love of God that when you allow yourself to experience it, you want to engage. You don't run away from it. You say, I want to be a part of it. Now, you have to love this. And again, I'm not going to be able to take the time or if we were in an inductive Bible study or a lengthy study to unpack all of Joel 3. But I believe the word for you and me today is recognize your weak, okay? Let the weak say. So I want to give you good news. If you feel like everything I've been talking about is like blah, 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 (laughs) blah, you know, that's for somebody else, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm such a failure, I'm, I've fallen too far, I keep telling God how sorry I am, I keep coming to church and nothing's happening, I've asked God to answer my prayers, nothing's happened, I am so weak, you know, I want you to hear God say to you, all right, that's good, if you can admit you're weak, you can say, I am so weak, I need help. Now let me address uh, again for those of you who've never understood that Jesus has come for you to help you is that Jesus became weak for you. Jesus went all the way down. He became weak for you so that you would understand. He understands your weakness. Um, some of you know this movie and you know the story. Now I'm new to Massachusetts and you I read names of cities and it sounds like if I just read it from my understanding of English it would be pronounced this way. But the town of Woburn, hopefully I said that right. Um, If you haven't seen the, if you haven't seen the movie A Civil Action, here's a, you know, you come to church. I'm going to give you a little cultural uplift, you know. Here, Uh, if you haven't seen the movie A Civil Action with John Travolta, here's one of your applications from the Word of God to you today. Watch this movie. All right, A Civil Action. Go home and find it, rent it, watch it. You'll bless me. You'll remember. You say, Clyde, that was awesome. It was so good. All right, so. In the movie, John Travolta is here in Boston. He's an attorney. He's an ambulance-chasing kind of attorney. He only takes on big, dramatic cases you know, that uh, to fight injustice or you know things that have happened to people. He's a litigator, and he's a big litigator, and he's very successful. Now, this is based on a true story. You go to Wikipedia, read about the guy who is at the heart of this story. But the thing that really grabbed me about the movie is this. So what's happening is that this company is polluting the water supply above Woburn. And people are getting sick. And they can't, they can't get the company to own what they're doing. They can't get the government to help them what they're doing. So in desperation, they hire this hot dog attorney, John Travolta, to, be, to defend them. And he comes and he's all dressed to the nines, a fancy suit. You know, and he's standing there and this family, the people are gathered around him. And he's going, you can't afford me. <laughs> you know, you can't pay me enough to take on your case. You know, and he's mocking these people for even wanting to ask him to do it. But he showed up and some other people talked to him and say, please help us. Here's why, here's why. And then finally, a mother says this, she says, we can drink the water and we get sick but when our children drink it, they die. And right at that point, point, John Travolta, the attorney says, I'll take the case. Now to watch the case, it's a great picture of the gospel because this man who whose name I should have known so I could say his name, basically dedicates his life to getting clean water for children he is transformed, he is changed, he is just the transformation of his story. Now again, um, it's not a perfect story, it's not a perfect analogy to the gospel, but Jesus saw you in your death, that you've been drinking the water of our culture. You've been drinking the, the expectations of other people on your story, and you are dying a slow death. Because what's important to you are what people are saying to you or what you're holding on to, which is like arsenic. You know, it doesn't kill you just right away, but over time you're dying on the inside. You're dying. Your soul is wasting away. You are losing any perspective of, is there hope? And Jesus came, and he came to say to you and to me, I'm here to rescue you from the wages of your sin, which is death, and give you this free gift, a relationship with me, a free gift that will let you enter into the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here's where it really gets exciting. It goes from where you have nothing. You are weak. You now realize, I'm a part of the people of God. I'm a part of the temple of God. I am now called Holy and I get to live that out, and I am a warrior. So if you're feeling weak this morning, you can say, I am a warrior, but you can't say that until you realize Jesus, who was the ultimate warrior, the ultimate champion, became weak and died in your place so that you might be released from the lie that your life's never gonna count, that your life's never gonna matter, that you're never gonna make a difference in this world No, Jesus came to bring you into a relationship with him that you know that why you're on planet Earth right now is to make a difference for that area where there is injustice, there's trouble, there's pain, there's suffering, where God is calling you to be equipped so that coming out of his embrace, you might engage the problems that are all around us, the evil that is all around us, and you go, put me in. I want to fight. I want to fight. Paul says, fight the good fight, fight it. So do you feel like, hey, I'm, put me in, I'm, I'm ready to go. Well, you can't get there until you admit you're weak, but see, Jesus became weak for you. Through his weakness, you can be strong. He was rich, but he became poor. In the movie Civil Action, Travolta, spent, he goes bankrupt <laughs> trying to solve this case. Jesus went bankrupt at the cross for you. He lost everything so that you might be rich in everything that God has to offer. And then you go, wow. So that when you back up just to the verse that comes before this, it says, God says, proclaim this among the nations, consecrate for war. When you know that you're a warrior, you realize I need a fresh calling on my life to be the living and holy sacrifice that God's called me to be. I want to be that person who takes up his cross and lays it all down so that people might know this love, this mercy that God has. In view of God's mercy, his great mercy, Romans 12:1, present yourselves as living and holy sacrifices. The other thing my dad loved to say, besides the Jesus saying, uh, <clears throat> you can't serve two masters, he said, Clyde, during the Depression, we heard a lot the call to sacrifice for others. We didn't have much, but we heard the call to sacrifice. And he said, son, preach that. So <laughs> to honor my father, I'm going to preach that. Here's how you can know that you're a warrior, is you're willing to do anything go any place, give up anything for the sake of the weak, being able to know that Jesus loves him. That's what drives you. That's what motivates you. That's what gets you out of bed in this morning that I am reading the Bible not only for myself, but for the people who need to know Jesus in my family or in my workplace or in my street. I am doing this because God has brought me into a relationship with him to make me somebody who's mighty for him. Who's somebody who's ready to go and, uh, and ready to draw near. Now, it's fascinating. It says, all the men of war and women of war draw near. Men is generic here, including all of us. Let them come up. <laughs> Let them come up. And so today, you're going to get to come up to the table where Jesus has prepared a feast for you in the presence of our enemies. This is the table of the Lord. Jesus says, call them to come up and realize that here is the bread, the living water, the sustenance for engaging the world with the hope of the gospel. Jesus, Lord of the universe, hope of the world, light of the world. We need this. We need this feast. We need this bread. We need this respite to come up to him and say, Jesus, I am weak, but thank you that you became weak that I might be a warrior for you. Let us pray. Jesus, we're grateful today that you never give up on us, you never leave us or forsake us, but you promise to show us uh, the way, Jesus. And so, again, uh, help us to come and feed until we want no more. Come and renew us in our inmost being to be warriors. Uh, Warriors in prayer, warriors in sacrifice, warriors in love, warriors in kindness and mercy. That the way we fight will be so different than the way we watch the world fight with each other. But our engagement comes from this commitment to not back down and back off from the things that need to hear the good news of the gospel, Jesus, we pray. Amen.